Hey, parents. Welcome to another edition of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. My name is Tim Wright. I'm here along with Dr. Michael Gurian. And today we're going to talk about a topic that's pretty personal to me because it's something that I experienced in my life and uh, my kids have experienced it as well. And that has to do with the whole issue of anxiety. And so what I'm going to do today is tell you a little bit of my story. And, uh, and then we're going to talk with, with Michael, uh, who uh, can give us some great perspective as a therapist and, and uh, somebody who's done a lot of stuff with brain science research to help us navigate a little bit uh, our way through anxiety, in particular when it comes to our children. Uh, before we do that, uh, I want to just say again how glad we are to have you with us today. And uh, for those of you who are listening in for the first time, thank you so much for trying us out. And uh, we hope it's helpful for you and that you will go to our website, wonderofparenting.com, and subscribe. And uh, if you've got a question at all that you think would be helpful for us uh, and uh, for our listeners, we would love to hear your questions, and then we will use those as a part of our podcast in the future. Uh, we also have a uh, Facebook group page where you can have conversations with parents from all over the world uh, who listen to this podcast, and we encourage you to head on over there. It's Facebook. It's Wonder of Parenting. And uh, just another way to be connected, and, and we'll pop in from time to time with some resources uh, that we come across that you might find interesting, different articles that we're reading. Uh, so today, what I want to do uh, is to tell you a little bit about uh, my experience with anxiety. And uh, when I'm talking about anxiety, and, and Mike, I'm going to have you jump in here for a moment, then I'll tell my story. A lot of times when we talk about anxiety, we're talking about sort of this general nervousness or stress that people can have in a situation. But what I want to talk about today is actually a clinical form of anxiety. So what's yeah. the difference? So, yeah, so you're distinguishing situational anxiety, yep. like performance anxiety before a test or something like that, um, uh, as opposed to or contrasted with or linked to um, a clinical diagnosis of anxiety, like an anxiety disorder. Yes. Yeah. Right. So so that's what I had, have. And so let me tell you uh, a little bit of my story. Uh, and even though I first really came to terms with it when I was an adult, uh, I am going to bring it back to when I was a kid. Um, so it was 1988, and I was in uh, California, Pasadena, California, for two weeks. I was there by myself without my family. I was going through a, a continuing ed experience. And the first night, the first overnight, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, and my heart was racing at 900 miles an hour. My brain was going crazy, and uh, I thought... A, I was going nuts, and B, I was going to have a heart attack. And all I wanted to do at that moment was get out of that room and get into my car and get home to where it was safe. And my roommate, who didn't know me at all, thought I was crazy because it's like 2 in the morning. We'd had maybe 3, 4 hours of sleep. And I said, no, i got to get out of here. I have to leave. I have to go home. And uh, understandably, he was really worried about me. Uh, but I just knew. In that moment, I had to get out of that place. Now, I knew in the back of my mind I was having a panic attack, but I had no idea why. I just knew something was wrong. So I got into the car, and this was before cell phones, so my wife has no idea what's going on. And um, I drove home, and it was just nervous energy. I was It was like having caffeine. I was wide awake, drove home. And, of course, as soon as I got home, uh, the anxiety stopped. And uh, I felt, uh, because I'd had so much adrenaline, uh, I almost had this, this uh, short-term depression come. I was just exhausted and uh, ashamed 
embarrassed that I'd run away without knowing why. But I was smart enough to go see a therapist. And I explained to him what had happened. And he said, uh, I think that you might have an anxiety disorder. And I said, I think this was just a one-off. And uh-huh. he was right. I was wrong. Uh, I didn't have any anxiety for a while, and then it happened again. And um, once I realized that I had an anxiety disorder and that I needed to deal with it, um, I had a period of several weeks where it got worse. Now, it was never the kind of anxiety that kept me in my house, as some people have. Um, I was always able to do my job, but I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I was fearful to go to sleep. And I was afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid I wouldn't fall asleep. It just becomes this vicious cycle. And, um, but I was determined to work on it because I knew that something wasn't right. And uh, my therapist told me a couple really helpful things. He said, for most people with anxiety, it is not um, a disorder that you'll have to live with the rest of your life. It's a thought process. Not true for everybody, but for most people, it's just a changing of the way that you think. And that was helpful for me to a point, but I would always have these relapses. And it was frustrating to me. Why do I keep having relapses? And so finally, uh, I went through uh, some friends of mine and got a, another therapist who worked with me over a period of almost a year. And she was very good because she had been an anxiety sufferer herself. And uh, she was the one who put me on to stuff like diet and so on. And I discovered in the process just a few years ago um, that I have very low dopamine and serotonin levels. And so I live on, on a lot of testosterone, and uh, which just was making me crazy. And so we, we fixed my diet a little bit. And I haven't really had, in the last several years, an outright panic attack. Uh, for me, they tend to be triggered by traveling by myself. And some of that may have to do with the fact that when I was growing up as a kid, uh, my mom was in and out of a hospital 40 times from, my, from ages 0 to 10 for me. And so that may have triggered something. Um, but my point now for you as parents is uh, as I began to deal with my anxiety disorder, I began then to remember other episodes from when I was younger. And I particularly, and I can still to this day, I can feel it, I can sense it. I'm sitting in first grade. I know exactly where I'm sitting. It's one of the first days of school, and um, I am just emotional about being there. All I want to do is go home, and I remember laying my head down on my arm, and I couldn't hold the crying anymore, and a little kind of a weep came out. Uh, I hit it as best I could, but my buddy looked at me and said, are you okay? And uh, I wasn't, Uh, and little did I know back then that already some of the seeds of my anxiety disorder were were present then so michael the reason why i tell that story is first of all i want to give parents hope that you know you can treat anxiety there are a lot of really effective methods today but secondly i really want to talk with parents today uh you as a therapist in particular what are some of the signs that we should look for in our children to see that it's not just uh, anxiety in the moment but maybe they have an anxiety disorder that could be caused by thoughts or could be caused by chemical imbalance in their bodies. What are some things that we should be looking for? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, look for them uh, being chronically nervous, right, and that kind of thing. Like they're biting their nails, they're okay. complaining constantly, um, you know, in, in an anxious way, worrying constantly. So, so that would be they're verbalizing that way and acting that way. 
and that that we'd be a, they'd be a good mirror of themselves with that. Uh, if they're hiding it, you know, sometimes look Which for isolation. Okay, yeah, look for isolation if they if they isolate themselves. Um, so you know, let's pick an eleven or twelve year old, let's say, who sort of pulls inward, goes into the room, doesn't really spend a lot of time with others, stops activities, used to play soccer, let's say, stops playing soccer, right? Used to play the oboe, stops playing the oboe, um, used to do well in school, pulls away from that. So definitely look for that kind of isolation and then uh, various interests and, and areas of performance depreciate or decline. Uh, look for that. I'd say those would be the two two major things to look for. Uh, for me, um, one of the things that I learned along the way was uh, anybody is susceptible to um, an anxiety disorder, in part because it, it is a, um, for many of us, um, it is a, a way of thinking which tends toward the negative, a lot of what-if thinking. Uh, what if I don't get enough sleep? I'm going to be a terrible speaker the next day. What if I flunk this test? I'll never get into whatever. And so there's a lot of what-if thinking, catastrophizing thinking. Um, but that the primary candidates tend to be, not always, but tend to be um, perfectionists, firstborns, which I was that, and um, pretty self-driven people, you know, people who want to succeed, people who want to, uh, who want to be perfect in every way. And, um, and those can also be some things to look for in your child. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but they may be indicators uh, of a child who is, could possibly set himself up uh, to create some anxiety and panic in his own life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Perfectionism could be something we call the, the sort of comorbid, like as you're saying, it can sort of correlate. Yes, uh, it doesn't mean every perfectionist has an anxiety right, exactly. disorder, but it can correlate. Yeah, yeah. And and let me add to that 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 we now know that people who who get a specific disorder, like an anxiety disorder, um, that you already have genes for that. Yes. So there are there are you know long alleles and short alleles on each of these sets of genes, and the way these genes are set up, um, uh, you one has those. So I, for instance, don't have as much anxiety genetics, but I have more depression genetics. Mm -hmm. And so if, if something happens to me, um, so for parents, so let me let me sort of say for parents. So if you, um, it doesn't necessarily require trauma to trigger those genes, right? though trauma can trigger them. And so like in your case, um, if you had all of those years of, of a mom in and out of the hospital, okay, so that can create some of the trauma yep. that can trigger those genes. Yep. You might have a sibling. I know you did have siblings and I yep. don't know, but you might have a sibling who doesn't have, and so this is important for parents. If you have three kids and there's been some trauma, um, one child, the anxiety genes could trigger, but in another child, depression genes could trigger. Right. So, or, no, or nothing triggers. Or nothing triggers. Yeah. This child has has all the OPRMI and all this resilience genetics that um, that really is protective of the child. So that those genes don't trigger. They don't trigger during childhood. Maybe something happens later. So, so just know everyone. I beg everyone to know that there are genetic components, and they can be triggered via trauma. They can be triggered via neurotoxins, which mm. is this hidden thing that there's a lot of why kids, more kids in this, the generation of kids now are struggling with anxiety than did uh, actually when you and I were kids. 
Um, uh, so there's more neurotoxins and having more of an effect because it had the neurotoxins have had an effect on the cells of mom and dad of sperm and egg, and then uh, and then have an effect on um, kids now, right? So it's a double whammy for yep. kids who may have these genetics. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. So it could be trauma that triggers them. It could be neurotoxins um, uh, that trigger them. And once they're triggered... Uh, and, and we're not talking about normal anxiety. Every child's going to have anxiety. That's right. So we want to always remind people, we're not saying, we're talking about an anxiety disorder. So if they're triggered, this thing that you were talking about with diet and with really looking at what's happening in the external world and how it affects the body and therefore the brain, mm -hmm. it's just crucial for this generation, especially um, a lot of these kids do need meds. They do need to see professionals, you know, right away. Um, uh, but the environment and and the environment's crucial. So it's going to mean it could mean meds. It could mean altering diet. It could mean like gluten. I mean, a lot of kids yep. are triggered by gluten. No one knows their parents don't know that they get them off gluten. Really, really helpful. Um, uh, it can also mean dealing with screens. So we have mm. a we have a big issue in this generation with the um, social media and the effect that social media and constant uh, this kind of constant internal battle that kids are in now vis-a-vis uh, -vis their friends or their enemies, their foes on social media. So that's triggering uh, anxiety and can can be a part of the process. So that's going to mean not giving them the cell phone. It's going to mean taking that away. It's going to mean protecting them from social media. Uh, all, all of these things are part of the process. And I just want people to know that, that genes get triggered and so, so you can have two kids, both of whom struggle with the same trauma, but one of them becomes anxious, the other does not. That's with the, well within the range of normal. And, and of course, this is stuff that I didn't know back in 1988. I just knew something was wrong with me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thankfully had a, a lot of caring people. And, of course, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy, if there's something wrong with me, I'm going to go figure it out and uh, fix it. And uh, it just took me so long, uh, in part because... Um, again, uh, a lot of folks who have anxiety, if, if they learn to retrain their thoughts 
and uh, rather than catastrophizing and doing what else, they they uh, shut those thoughts down and replace them. Uh, a lot of people find relief with that, which is fantastic, which I did a little bit. But I think you're right. There were things going on in me genetically, uh, and still are. I mean, they're still there, um, that I found out later on in life. And, um, you know, to be able to address those through diet, uh, one of the things that I did right away after my first anxiety attack in 1988 is I stopped drinking caffeine. And I used to drink a ton. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. It was yeah. big, you know, iced teas every day. Um, of course, I still have caffeine because I love dark chocolate and, and, and so on. But um, I don't have caffeine the way that I did. Uh, I continued and continue to this day, even when I didn't sleep well, I would still make sure that I got my exercise in in the morning and uh, made sure that I just kept living my day. I didn't want my anxiety to stop me, which it can do pretty easily for some people. And um, and then, of course, changing my diet and, and adding in some things to boost my serotonin levels and dopamine levels. Uh, all of that really, in the end, proved very helpful. And I want to say a big shout out this is a little harder for kids to do, but meditation and just slowing down and relaxing the body and learning how to be relaxed and get into a relaxed state when you feel anxiety coming. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. So, so let's so let's say you know because most parents are going to be a little freaked out uh, with medications right away. So, if if you had a child, let's say your child is me, you know, one year old or not one year old, first grade, third grade. And, and you see these signs of an anxiety disorder, not just anxiety, but an anxiety disorder is ongoing. Um, where do you start? What are some of the things that you do to begin to figure out what's going on and begin to bring help? Well, immediately going for getting professionals involved who, you know, who specialize in this. So uh, pediatric therapists, right? Because the child's six or eight years old. So I want to get yep. someone who really focuses on kids and who focuses on anxiety. So is has good training to understand anxiety disorders because it's going to be very hard for parents. Like if, if parents say, okay, parents say, okay, my child worries a lot, Yep. right? And then it's like, well, is that an anxiety disorder? I mean, it's hard for parents to do that. They sort of has to go in and get help to figure out what, what's going on. And and um, so the counselors, the therapists, the psychiatrists, whoever gets involved can do um, batteries, right? Tests, yep. uh, talk to the child and deci- decide what is going on. And then, and then we shouldn't be afraid of medication. I mean, definitely don't be afraid of medication. Medica- good medication is good medication. And right. if, you know, if it's needed, it's needed. If someone is, has an illness and an anxiety disorder is an illness. And I think it would be, I think, I think all of us have to reorient ourselves in this generation, in these decades, in this generation, away from the concept that somehow our children are not going to suffer mental illnesses. Um, you know, I I, I really, um, I raised my kids with the concept, just because I do so much research, I raised my kids with the concept that, well, they'll probably have something. Like, <laughs> okay. something is probably going to happen. So, yeah. so we, I mean, we have so many neurotoxins in our environments right now, and there's so much triggering. Um, uh, some people are arguing one in three kids. I think it's more like one in five uh, have anxiety issues or yes. maybe anxiety disorders. You know, obviously, as I just said, some are arguing one in three. Uh, okay, whichever it is, that's incredibly high. And then you have a one in five that we believe are suffering with some sort of depressive disorder. Um, uh, now, some of those are the same. They're with each other, right? They're comorbid, but a lot of them are separate. So now that's close to one in three kids just with anxiety and depression. And then we know we have around 15% of kids with ADD, ADHD. 
And so, so part of what I'm always trying to say to parents is let's get rid of the idea that to have a good kid or a healthy kid um, or healthy child development, that nothing's going to happen and that, that our kid is not going to have something. I, I would go into it thinking maybe my child does have something. And so let's get help for it right away. You know, don't put it off um, and just go to people that understand it and who won't overreact to it, but understand it. Um, and with anxiety in particular, we want to remember the rumination loops. Yes. And one of the things parents can do, yeah, and this is something that parents can do and do need to do over a period of years with with anxious kids, is to help them identify their rumination loops. This is not a substitute for meds or for changing diet or any of the things we already, already just talked about, getting rid of caffeine, all those are really important. Um, uh, and this is a kind of strategic practice for parents um, as they're trying to teach mindfulness, let's say, to the kids also get them to process what their rumination loops are. So a rumination loop is I'm worried about something and, and you mentioned catastrophizing, you know, I worry about it and it just grows and grows and grows and snowballs in my mind. And then I, I, um, I see the worst and then I keep looping to the worst. And what's actually happening is there's a part of the brain, the cingulate cortex that is an attention focus kind of worry part of the brain. And then there's another part of the brain, the amygdala, which is, people may have heard about, which is like an emotion center. Anger can happen there and worry can happen there. And an interesting brain difference for males and females is that males tend to, um, uh, when the amygdala swells up, it swells up more on the anger side, females more on the worry side, uh, the anxiety side. So statistically, we tend to see more females with anxiety disorders than males, um, uh, even though the male rate is high. Uh, so, so especially if you have a girl who's ruminating, you know, Maybe strategically, people will see this right away. I have a girl who's ruminating, and I know she's ruminating because she'll express herself more. Often with guys, we won't know that our 13-year-old boy is ruminating because he's not talking to us about it. But right. we often, and we, so we need to get him talking about it. Uh, with the girl, we may, she may be talking about it. And if we see the loop, we want to intervene. And people will think, people often kind of pop psychology think, well, I should just listen. But that's not absolutely true. You do have to listen. And, and then you need to problem solve, right, to try to yes. stop the loop. Uh, because, again, that's a strategy parents can practice with these kids. And the kids really want that help. They absolutely need the bigger, greater mind, which is the parent's mind, right, because the child's 11 or 12, want the parent's mind, that's a mature mind, to be helping them to stop the loop. So, okay, you're, you're worried that you will have no friends next year in, in – uh, in seventh grade, right? And that's been the rumination loop for the, this whole month. Every time we see the loop, we have to say, okay, well, um, you know that that's a worry, but based on your previous experience, you've always had two or three friends. So that's probably not going to happen, right? And that gets repeated. That's a repeated yes. strategy yes. to try to stop the loop. So, right. that, so that's is, something parents can practice right away. Right, which which goes back to what I said about a lot of times anxiety is is caught up in in a wrong kind of thinking, and what we want to do is we want to replace those what ifs. Uh, one one person said it this way: replace your negative what if. You know, what if I don't have any friends? To what if I have too many friends? Or what if I have a lot of really good friends? I'm going to yeah. go today and see if that happens. And it's just Beautiful. a change of sh a shift of thinking. And I found for me. Um, that once I could change that thinking, then everything seemed to calm down in me. And I also found um, that having someone that I could talk to, uh, which I didn't often do because I'm a guy, and, and a, a particular guy who internalizes everything and then speaks out uh, my end result. 
But there were nights when uh, I couldn't sleep and uh, I would just ask Jan if I could just talk. And uh, so I would just talk and then I'd fall asleep and then she's up all night worrying about my worry. But, <laughs> right. but, but just getting it out was, was helpful. And the other thing I would say is um, now Jan has issues with depression. And in a few weeks, um, I'm hoping to get my son on uh, and we'll talk about our, our journey with him with his clinical depression because it's sort of the other side of the coin. But uh, she had no way to relate at all to my anxiety. She just didn't get it. Uh, what are you so worried about? Why are you thinking that? And uh, and that's what you'll probably encounter with your kids if you've never had anxiety before. Um, it, it may not make sense to you at all, uh, but it's real to them. And what they need is what you've said, compassionate listening, but a breaking of the loop. Uh, not to get angry and say, hey, stop thinking like that or buck up, but to replace that what-if fear with a positive you know, well, what if it goes really well for you? Let's try that tomorrow and then come back and talk about it. Um, because the one thing I didn't need, and I'd hear this all the time when I would go to certain churches, because a Christian guy, um, the Bible says, don't worry about anything. And if you're worried, then you're not really a, a, a good Christian. I thought, I can't help it. I've got this anxiety thing going on and you're making me feel yeah. worse. So right. we don't need people to feel worse. Um, it's like telling a depression person to just buck up and be happy. <laughs> it's just, that's not what they need. They need compassion and love. And then all the other things that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, and, you know, you mentioned anger. Let me just kind of mention a sex difference in yes. the way the brain does this because yep. parents of boys and girls, you know, this might, might be helpful. I mean, it, it, it's not going to work hundred percent of the time, but, but often with females, we are more, um, with our with our daughters, they do talk more. Like you and I are talkers, right? So we're right. talkers, but but we're kind of in that one in five exception rate uh, for males. Uh, generally, four out of five times when males get anxious, depressed, etc., they actually will talk less. They they won't express as much of it, and it, it's part of why we have more suicide among males, etc. So uh, with with um, with females, they'll tend uh, in general to talk about it more. Um, and we may miss that with males, one way we can know that that males may have an anxiety disorder is that some males will be angry all the time. Mm-hmm. And so watch yes. for this with boys. They, if, if something has changed in this boy, I mean, okay, if he's 12 or 13 and he's getting angry a lot, it could be testosterone, it could be normal hormones, it could be anything. But if you have any suspicion that, that this is an anxious boy, and 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 you as a parent are thinking, but he doesn't talk about. He doesn't seem to worry about things because mm-hmm. he doesn't talk about it. But he's getting angry a lot. That could be a clue. Mm. And so that might be something to take to the therapist, to take to the professional, and and talk to them about. Um, and of course, talk to your son about. So like, if your son is angry about A, B, and C, maybe A is righteous anger. But if B and C are about something that hmm doesn't really seem like anger is needed there. Uh, another face of anger is fear. Another yes. face of anger is anxiety, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's it's just a clue there for parents. It's a possible strategy to get into the minds of boys. Uh, look for anger. That's so insightful because when I was first meeting back in uh, 88, 89 with my therapist friend, uh, one of the questions he asked me was, do you, do you get angry easily? And um, it was a great question because I, when I was younger, I, I, you know, I wasn't a, a madman, but I could have a temper once in a while. Um, and I thought for a moment, I said, you know what? I don't get angry easily, but I do hurt easily. I get hurt easily. I take it really personally. Mm. And he said, 
Anger is simply an expression of deep hurt. And I thought that was really helpful. That that and guys probably more than girls, uh, if we're hurt, we, we, you know, our our go to is is anger. So what you're saying there is really spot on. That anger can be a sign of of something going on. Whether it's anxiety, depression, anger is always just a good thing to pay attention to. Yeah, really pay attention to anger. Obviously for girls too. It's, we're not saying girls don't get angry. They get very angry. Uh, and for boys, sometimes it's the only way we know. Yep. <laughs> you know, so especially important for boys. So I, I want to kind of uh, summarize all of this. And uh, first of all, to say to parents, uh, we don't want to make you anxious today <laughs> talking ah, about anxiety. No, no, we don't. No. Uh, but we do want, uh, you know, I'm, in a, I'm a 61-year-old adult who looks back at that first grader that I was, who was experiencing some early anxiety, and, um, you know, it would have been helpful if, if I had had the tools a little bit to process or... Um, or if somebody had just noticed and said, Tim, are you okay? Let's talk about it, and kept an eye on me a little bit, and maybe I wouldn't have gone through as much of that emotional trauma that I, I wrestled with for so long. Um, we, we want to help you see these things in your kids. That's all the reason why we bring it up. Your kids may be great, but for those of you who maybe have an anxious child, um, uh, part of what my, I hear Michael saying is um, you know, find a good therapist who understands anxiety disorders in kids. Um, you know, listen to your kids, but break that rumination cycle, replace the negative self-talk with positive self-talk as much as you can, uh, create, I, I, I would add this, we talked about a little bit, but create some calming spaces in the life of your child. Um, and, and he or she may not understand what it means to meditate, but certainly they can calm down and relax, uh, watch stimulant things like, uh, caffeine or screen and uh, and then be a compassionate parent, and um, th- there are going to be some frustrations for you, but hang in there with your kids, and um, this is one of those disorders that they have really good success treating, mm-hmm. and through diet and through through talk therapy, through medication, and um, the anxiety is not hopeless at all. Uh, I'm a guy who's living a really good productive life, even though I've had some anxiety stuff in my life, because I've had good people surround me to help me through it. So, uh, Michael, I want to yeah. I want to talk about some of the good things that we're offering folks. But do you have a final word for parents on anxiety? Well, I just want to uh, um, add on to to the thought you said it very well. I, I, just sort of a phrase: the wound becomes the gold. And and for every child who, if someone's listening to this, and you know they're thinking maybe their child has anxiety, and then you go through the process as a parent of of internally battling with the self, you know, I kind of feel like a failure. I've done something wrong. I feel like a failure if my child has a disorder. Um, I, 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 you know, normally that's not the case. I mean, if one is abusing a child, okay, then one blew it. But most of the time, these disorders don't come because of something that the parents are specifically doing to damage their children. So I just think it's really important we don't think of ourselves as failures as we approach this. And also, as we go through the year or two or, you know, however long it takes to help reorient this child's life and help build resilience. And you and I will do a podcast on resilience because that's the second half of this this conversation is building resilience back up in the child. Um, as we do that, we I think the wound is the gold. And so we help that child to reorient his or her life toward the anxiety, toward moving through the anxiety, toward using the anxiety as the gold later, um, as part of what helps the child to perform well later and, you know, has purpose and, and uh, is, is a part of the child's personality that gets used um, uh, 
so that the child can succeed later. And that's, I know, another podcast, but I yep. just I didn't want to not say that. Excellent. So uh, we know that these things are, are really important for you as parents. And um, one of the things that we want to do in partnering with you uh, to be wonder-filled parents yourself and enjoy the wonder of parenting is to create resources uh, to support the things that we're talking about together. And one of those resources is a monthly subscription to a community that Michael has started called the Gurian Community through Patreon. And we're able to go deeper into topics with you on that site. It's just $10 a month, $10 a subscription. And from Michael, you get two videos from Michael every month. Uh, Michael and I do an extra podcast, and that resilience one is be a great one for that site as well to just go deeper. Um, and then there are some other things that Michael is writing that you have access to. So you get something almost every week that's unique and just takes you deeper than what we can do in this podcast. And if you go to wonderofparenting.com, that's wonderofparenting.com, there is a link there that will get you directly to that subscription. You can jump off anytime. I think once you're in, you're going to stay in because the stuff is really good. But it's $10 a month, and we want to encourage you to, to head on over there and go deeper in the journey of parenthood. Yeah, and, and that's. let me just add that yep. that's a place where, and this topic, if people have specific questions, yes. like, like I get a lot of uh, people will say, I have a son who, or I have a daughter who, and they, they'll write me a, a really long email, and I'm always honored that they do it, but I get so many of those, I can't really respond. But the the this Patreon community, there's a service set up there where, if, where people can ask me those very long, intricate questions, and I can respond through that. And yep. so it's part of the service. Great. And uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a, uh, a multi-episode series. We've been talking about this now called uh, Raising Girls and Boys in a Me Too Culture, a Me Too World. And we're going to use this as a template, a new resource I've created. It's an ebook, short ebook, about 25 pages on Amazon called Raising Sons in a Hashtag Me Too World. And uh, even though it's geared to parents of sons, there's a lot of really good information there for uh, parents of girls. You're sort of the secondary audience. We're going to expand the book to look at both boys and girls, but I encourage you to pick up the book, get a head start. It's going to have stuff that we won't talk about in the podcast, and the podcast will uh, dig deeper into some of those topics. Again, that's on Amazon, or it's on our uh, wonderofparenting.com website and a resource there. And uh, so we encourage you to look that up next week. Uh, Michael and I are going to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about a subject that we've given some time to but want to go a little deeper, and that has to do with helping boys thrive. And we care deeply about girls, and you're going to hear that all the time, but we're both particularly committed to boys because there's been so little attention given to boys over the last 30 to 40 years. And one of the things that Michael and I do together uh, is an event, uh, a summit on helping boys thrive. And so we just want to give you some pictures of of, uh, what's going on with our boys. This is going to be helpful for uh, guys and and men and women raising girls as well, and uh, talk about some of the things that we can do together uh, through Michael and through me uh, and uh, the resources we provide, what we can do with your community to really change the storyline of our son. So that'll be next week, and then in two weeks, uh, we'll get to the uh, discussion about boys and girls in a Me Too world. Michael, any final words from you before we sign off for today? Well, just deep thanks to you, Tim, for for making this happen and keeping us always on track. You're really, you're wonderful. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, and we appreciate all the insights, Michael. And thank you all for listening. And we'll be with you again next Monday uh, as we talk about our boys. Uh, Have a great day. And thanks again for listening.